0: The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, we're going to be talking today about godly women and the impact godly women can have and the impact they had on a young man named Timothy. Uh, As you turn to 2 Timothy, The story of Timothy begins in Acts chapter 16. You might want to go back sometime today later on and read what it says about uh, Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts chapter 15 is the is a place called the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had come back, well really it was called Barnabas and Saul at that time, had come back from the first missionary journey. And Simon Peter stood up and he said, "Uh, those of you here in Jerusalem know that i opened the door of faith to the gentiles when god spoke to me and sent me to speak to a gentile and he said and as barnabas and saul have traveled they preached the gospel to many gentiles and many gentiles have become followers of jesus and so they wanted to have a discussion about whether or not you had to become a jew first to then become a christian and they decided at the jerusalem council you did not that christianity uh, did not have to obey the jewish laws Uh, the Mosaic laws, the Levitical laws, uh, they did not have to do that. And so then in Acts chapter 16, Paul starts out on his second missionary journey, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, but Paul said, no, he turned back on the first journey, we're not going to take him. So Barnabas, who was always an encourager, said, well, Paul, let's not fight over this, you take uh, uh, Silas with you, and I'll take John Mark with me. And so from then on, it's not Barnabas and Saul, it's Paul and Silas. On the second missionary journey. And it was right on the beginning of that second missionary journey that they met this young man named Timothy. And this was written to Timothy in the last days of Paul's life. In fact, chapter four is the passage I preach on every Thanksgiving come before winter. And this is the very beginning of that epistle. Let's stand together as to we show our respect for the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the living God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, For the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, then in your mother, Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln said one time that no one is poor that had a godly mother. And if you had a godly mother, then you feel like that. Uh, I'm thankful that when I was just a boy, uh, my mother and dad didn't send me to church. They took me to church. And when we got to church, mom and daddy went different ways. Mama went to work in the nursery, and daddy went to teach a men's Bible class. And that was all I knew growing up. Uh, I literally was in church. Uh, Three times a week: Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And my dad was a deacon. And oftentimes, when my mother was working the night shift at Hayes Aircraft, I would have to go and sit out the door of deacons' meetings. I've been going to deacons' meetings since I was about six years old. And uh, uh, I told the deacons the other day, "I'm counting them down now." I've been going to deacons' meeting as a pastor for 43 years. And uh, you say, "Aren't you going to go to any deacons' meetings after that?" Well, if I'm invited, I'll go. Uh, But uh, I've my My policy has always been, they leave the preaching to me and I leave the deacon into them. And they do a pretty good job. And uh, that's the way I like it. But uh, we work in harmony, in unity. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, But my mother had a great influence on my life. And my grandmother, my great-grandmother were godly women. And I thank God for the heritage that I have. Now you say, well, I didn't have that. Well, you need to get ready to let the next generation get that. You ladies here, maybe you didn't have that. maybe you men didn't have that but maybe your wife is a godly woman paul in this passage says three things first of all he talks in verse one about the promise he says paul an apostle of christ jesus by god's will for the promise of life in christ jesus now right away in this very first sentence paul tells us who his master is he says it's christ jesus and he was on the damascus road when christ jesus appeared to him paul would have listed himself as an apostle, even though he never saw Jesus in the flesh, which was one of the marks of an apostle. But Jesus made a special appearance to Paul on the Damascus road in his conversion. And Paul would always say that I am an apostle because Jesus appeared to me as one born out of due season. We're studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday night. I'm sitting in Mary's uh, precepts class and uh, you say, are you doing all the coloring and underlining? No, I tell them I'm auditing the class, okay? Uh, I, I read along in my Bible and I listen to K. Arthur and we have the videos, uh, but I'm not marking it, so I'm auditing the class. But I've enjoyed the class. And and uh, another thing that the class has done is reinforce my thought that I don't believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, because in chapter two, the writer of Hebrews says that they were converted by someone who heard Christ. Paul would have said, I was converted because Jesus appeared to me. And then later on in Hebrews, it talks about our dear brother, Timothy. I believe that every time Paul spoke of Timothy, he referred to him as he does here as his own dear son. I don't think you would have called him his brother. So I think it was another companion of Paul's that wrote Hebrews. And again, brother Dr. Paul Moore and I talk about this all the time. He does believe that Paul wrote it. And I don't know if it's because his name is Paul or not. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, he just wants to attribute that to Paul. Uh, but but we're, he, we're good-natured about it. But I tell him, one of us is going to have to tell the other one all through eternity, you were wrong. You know, now now you say, well, you know, if, what, what if you're wrong? Well, I have to be humble in heaven. They don't let you stay in heaven if you're not humble. So uh, I'm going to have to be humble and say, well, Paul, you're right. And I was wrong. Uh, but Paul would tell you in a moment his master was Christ Jesus. He said, who is it Lord when he, when he was stricken on the Damascus Road? And it said, Jesus answered, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he told him it was hard to kick against the pricks. And, and, and so Paul's master from the day of the Damascus Road was Christ Jesus. Notice Paul's mission. He was an apostle. The word apostle is an interesting word in Greek. It's made from two words apo which is a preposition which means from and stello which is a verb that means to send really means to hurl and so an apostle is one who is sent from or is hurled from And I really think Paul would have wanted to say, I've been hurled into this world as an apostle for Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. Everywhere he went, people were saved. Everywhere he went, churches were planted. He was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He earned that title because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road. But then notice his motivation for the promise of life. For the promise of life. Now, the word life there... is not the word bios, which is the common Greek word for life. It's the word zoe. And it's a word that means an abundant life, a life more than just existence. And Paul would tell you the only way you could have that kind of life is to know Jesus Christ. I've done three funerals this week. I did one last Sunday afternoon. I did one last Monday. I did one yesterday. And I'm thankful that two of the funerals I did I knew the people. Uh, the funeral I did last Sunday afternoon, I did not know the person, but I knew their family. And they asked me to do it. But most of the people that I do their funerals for, I have never met. I walk into the funeral home, and I meet with the family, and I sit down, and I talk to them about their loved one, and I try to find out something that I can share that will be of comfort at a time like that. And, of course, the most comforting thing I could say is this person had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they knew when they died they were going to heaven. And I'm thankful that I've been able to say that for the two that I knew. And the one that I did not know, I heard that they had taught uh, youth Sunday school in two churches where they served. So I was encouraged that even though I did not know them, they had been a faithful youth Sunday school teacher in two of the churches where they were a member. But most of the people that I do their funerals for I can't find out a whole lot about their spiritual condition and that's always sad because when there is a death the only thing that matters is were they a follower of jesus christ it didn't matter what their job was didn't matter what their salary was didn't matter where they lived didn't matter what kind of car they drove did not matter how famous or infamous they might be what matters is do you know jesus christ because the bible says if you know christ you have life and if you don't know Christ you'll never have life. In fact, it says if you don't know Christ, you're already condemned. So Paul's promise says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And then Paul gives us his prayer. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Now notice that word constantly. The word constantly means all the time. Uh, it means, literally, it means pray all the time. Uh, in First Thessalonians five seventeen, Paul says it again. He says, pray constantly. I, I've learned something in these last years. I wish I had thought about it years ago. Uh, if you go out the door today and you say, Brother Mike, I've got a prayer request. I'm going to say, well, what is it? And you say, well, I've got a loved one who is sick. Well, let's pray for him right now. You say, well, you mean you stop shaking hands with people? Yes, I do. Every now and then somebody will call my office and they say, I've got a problem. And then they'll tell me their problem, and I'll try to give them some counsel. But I always say, let's pray about this. I wish I'd thought about that years ago. I don't know why I didn't. I've been doing it for the last several years. Uh, we went out to eat uh, yesterday, and we talked to our server and asked our server, anything going on in your life? We can pray. I'm in school. Please pray for me. Uh, you know, that's been a blessing. Uh, we, we, with these people, we don't know them. They don't know us. We say, hey, we're going to thank God for our food. Can we pray for anything? You know, I've only had one time where anybody was the least bit rude, and they came back later and apologized for it. They thanked us for offering to pray for them. Do we pray constantly? I think we're always to be in an attitude of prayer. where where god is so close we can call on him we don't have to say well i'm in the flesh i got to get out of the flesh you see we need to stay in the spirit all the time not just when we're worshiping in church on sunday but we need to stay in the spirit seven days a week we need to be in the spirit at our work we need to be in the spirit uh, at home we need to be in the spirit when, when we're in recreation times paul was talking about his prayer he said i constantly remember you and then he talked about a clear conscience. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. And as Paul began to think about his ancestors, he thought about Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Something very interesting about Timothy in Acts chapter 16. We're told right at the very beginning in Acts 16 when we're introduced to Timothy that his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. Now, that meant, in, in our terms, that meant that his mother was a God-worshipping woman, and his father worshipped the mythological gods of Greece. He was an idolater. He, he did not worship the true and living God. He worshipped gods that had been made up by men and women. And Timothy could have followed his father, who was a Greek, but instead his mother and his grandmother poured their lives into young Timothy. And when Paul came along, he saw in Timothy something special. Do you know who put that in Timothy? First of all, God put it there. There was something in Timothy that Paul said, he needs to be in the ministry. And immediately Paul saw that. And you know who else put it in Timothy besides God? His mother and his grandmother. You ladies will never know the influence that you hold over your children spiritually in fact it has been said on more than one occasion that if you take a child from the age of 5 to the age of 12 and you teach them the Bible and the truths of the Bible that they have been so ingrained that even though they may stray for it sometime they will eventually come back some of you say well I, I taught my children and they have strayed. they'll come back you have to trust God you have to pray for them to come back but you know what I see as a problem? I see that not many people are teaching their children the Word of God because they don't know the Word of God themselves. How can you teach something you don't know? And what do you, when do you, where do you learn about the Word of God? Well, you can learn anywhere. You can, you can, I want to tell you, there's some good TV preachers. I watch David Jeremiah. I watch Adrian Rogers. I like them. Now, there's some TV preachers I wouldn't watch. In fact, you'd have to tie me up and hold a gun on me to watch some TV preachers. You say, who are they? The ones that don't preach the Bible. I want to tell you, don't listen to folks that contradict the Bible. If they tell you that people can live what God says is an abomination and die and go to heaven, they're not telling the truth. Either God's right or the TV preacher's right. I'm going to go with God every time. I loved it. I posted something on Facebook the other day. I saw, I saw a little clip of Adrian Rogers. If you're one of my friends, I hope you'll go on there and look at it. He gave the gospel in a nutshell. Man, it was great. It, it was just like being hearing him preach again. He was walking. He had his Bible. He was walking and preaching. And he said, uh, the Bible has one subject, sin. The Bible has one villain, Satan. The Bible has one hero, Jesus Christ. And the Bible has one purpose, the glory of God. And he said, the Bible is like a two-edged sword. It will cut you to heal you or it will cut you to destroy you. He said, man, that's preaching. It sure was. You don't hear a lot of that on TV today. You know why? People want their ears tickled. Society wants us to accept things that God says are unacceptable. I saw a preacher who was talking to Piers Morgan and Piers Morgan's always saying, show me one instance where Jesus Christ condemned homosexuality. This guy looked at him and he said, Pierce, I'll give you three. And he said he condemned it when he said that he did not come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill the law. That means that all the laws in Leviticus which talk about homosexuality, Jesus came to fulfill those laws. He said, that's one. He said, number two, Jesus said... You're not defiled by what goes into you. You're defiled by what comes out of you. And he said, if you even think about committing immorality or adultery, you're already guilty of it. And then he said in Matthew 19, Jesus said the Creator made them male and female from the creation. I want to tell you folks, it's time we take a stand. The world's not going to take it. The world's listening to those people who are trying to tickle those itching ears. But if you know Jesus Christ, you know the difference between truth and a lie. And these women, these faithful women, taught young Timothy as a child to believe the Word of God, to believe the Torah, to believe the Psalms and the prophets and the other historical writings. They taught him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what I love about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, I hope you get this will bless you. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and by the way, listen to the liberals talk about the burning bush sometimes. They say it really wasn't a bush on fire, it was a bush with the sun shining on it. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years in the desert. Do you not think he could tell the difference between a bush that burned and didn't burn up and a bush that had the sun shining behind it? That is ludicrous. And old Moses went up there and God said, take your shoes off, Moses, you're on holy ground. What did Moses do? He took his shoes off. And then God spoke to him from the burning bush and he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, where were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he said that? They were dead. They were dead. Abraham died a long time ago. Isaac died a little closer to that time. Jacob had been dead 400 years. But guess what? They weren't dead to God. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You say, why are you so fired up about that? Listen, I'm getting older day by day. I've got an appointment somewhere in the future. I've either got an appointment with death or the rapture. I've always wanted to go in the rapture. I'm still a candidate for that. I'm still here. You know, I'm still here. I'm walking on the grass. But if I'm under the grass, I'm going to be first because the dead in Christ shall rise first. But I want to tell you this. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive to God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. That means that when we die, we're still alive to God. Don't worry about getting old. Don't worry about death. Man, the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me is I'll either die and go be with Jesus or I'll be raptured and go be with Jesus. And where is Jesus? He told the thief on the cross, I'm going to see you in paradise today. That's all right. You say, well, that's just paradise. I don't care what you call it. If Jesus is there, it's going to be great. But these women had so filled Timothy with the word of God. Notice what their names mean. Lois means desirable or agreeable. And I love Eunice. Eunice mean, means conquering well or happy victory. In fact, the Greek word for victory is Nike. That's why that guy so many years ago named those tennis shoes Nike. If you wear those tennis shoes, you're supposed to win the victory. and that doesn't always happen, but that's what the maker of the shoes decided. And, and the, the, word, the name Eunice comes from... Happy and Nike, happy victory. Timothy could have become an idolater, but due to the spiritual influence of these two godly women, he became a disciple of Jesus Christ, highly respected by the early church. All right, what is Paul's purpose? By the way, look at that first verse there, or verse 2, where Paul normally says, grace and peace be unto you. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. Uh, our grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He says mercy there because he knew Timothy was about to undergo persecution. Paul knew he was about to die. He was going to be a martyr for the faith. And he knew after his death, Timothy would face persecution. And guess what you find in the book of Hebrews? The writer of Hebrews refers to Timothy as our dear brother Timothy. And it says he's just been released from prison. So we know this happened. Paul said, it's going to happen. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be put in jail. he said, but you're going to need grace, mercy, and peace. But then he talked about his purpose. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Three words here. First of all, remember. Remember. Jim Miner likes this because he loves alliteration. Remember, He says, I remind you. Now, every now and then I have to remind you, folks. I remind, reminded all you men last week to take your sweetheart out uh, for Valentine's Day. You say, did you do that? I, I did it on Thursday. You say, why did you do it on Thursday? Because I knew all y'all would be there on Friday, and I didn't want to wait in line behind all of you. But they called off Mary's school on Thursday, and I said... Uh, I said, you know, why don't we go up to uh, Firebirds? Mary loves Firebirds. Uh, I kind of like it myself, to be honest with you. But I said, let's go up to Firebirds. We went up to Firebirds. Some of you healthy people will be interested to know that I ate the Superfoods salad. I ate a salad that had tuna on it. I, ate, I almost ate sushi. I didn't really mean to, but they forgot to put that tuna on the fire very long. It, they they could have cooked him a little more. But they said, this is a superfood, so you better eat it. So, and it had something called arugula in it. I started not to eat that because the first thing in arugula is R, And I, that doesn't sound to it. But I did eat it. But I, man, I ate all those healthy things. I thought, man, I'm doing good. And I did real good until the lady said, y'all want a dessert? <laughs> and as I've been healthy, I'm going to be unhealthy. And I ate their fudge brownie that had ice cream on it and some hot caramel sauce. I did share it with Mary, gave her two bites. And at the end, it made my day because the manager came around and said, hey, we appreciate y'all coming in. Here's a $10 gift card for your next visit. I, I mean, I almost danced in the aisle at Firebirds. I would have danced, but they had a bar there, and I was afraid somebody would think I was drunk. I was so happy. But you know... Uh, I remember something. I can remember the first time I ever saw my wife. I was at a sweetheart banquet with another girl. And I saw Mary walk in. And I was smitten. I mean, I thought that was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my life. I thought, man, that's a nice-looking girl. Why have I not seen her before? And I started making plans to find out who she was. And I found out who she was, and I found out who her mama was, and I found out who her daddy was, and I went and asked her mama if I could take her out. You say, why didn't you go ask her daddy? I was scared of him. He was a giant of a man. His arms were as big as my legs, and he had played football at Howard, and he was a steel worker. I mean, he had more muscles in his arms than I had my whole body. I was scared to death, so I asked Miss Johnson. I said, Miss Johnson, I would like to... Asked your permission to take your daughter out. And she said, well, My daughter can't date right now. And I said, Well, when will she be allowed to date? And she said, She can't date till she's 16. And I said, Well, how old is she? She said, She's 15. And I said, When will she be 16? She said, She'll be 16 in July. I said, I'll see you in July. <laughs> and she told me at church a couple weeks later, She said, You know, you're, you're pretty insistent about this. She said, I'm going to tell you, I. I if you take her out after church one night another couple goes, you can go out with her, but you have her at the house at 9 o'clock. I said, yes, ma'am. So we went out. We went to a place called The Big Boy uh, out, out in, out in uh, Roebuck. And they had, it was kind of like a knockoff of Shoney's. Uh, and so they had, uh, they had a hot fudge cake and strawberry pie, and I think that's what we had uh, that night. And I got, her home, I got her home at 5 minutes till 9. I mean, we were, on the, we were on the porch at nine, five minutes. Nine. I wasn't, I wasn't going to take any chances. But you know what? I knew the very moment I laid eyes on her that God meant for us to get married. That took me about three and a half years to convince her. It took me about 35 years to convince her mama. <laughs> I think mean, she waited until Lily Grace was born inside decided, Well, that probably, probably wasn't a bad idea for them to get together. But, man, I remember being in love. Young people, I want to you, enjoy being in love, okay? But remember, God gave you a precious gift, and that gift is only to be used in marriage. So enjoy being in love. Because you know what? When you love somebody, you want the best for them. You don't want to use them. You, you don't want to manipulate them. You want to, 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 to love them, to shower them with your affection, but not in a way that would harm them or take something precious away from them. I remember those days. And then he said, Rekindle, keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you. Timothy had not let the fire go out, but Paul was saying, Timothy, you're fixing to undergo persecution. And if you don't undergo persecution, the fire of God that's in you has to be stirred up. And what does this say to us? It says to every one of us, there comes a time in our lives when we need to rekindle that fire. Some of you here today have let that fire kind of go dim. You know why it's gone dim? Because you hadn't stoked the fire. Because you hadn't given it any fuel. Because you hadn't been pouring oxygen to it. That's what you have to have to have a fire. You know what it takes to have fire for God? You have to have God's Word. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to be faithful in serving Jesus Christ. And if you're sinning, get out of sin and get back in the Word of God. That's how you rekindle the fire. Remember, rekindle. Boy, I love this last part rely. You can always rely on God. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, these three Greek words that Paul uses to tell us what we should rely on God for are words that are superlative. They're the highest possible caliber of verbiage that Paul could use. He says, first of all, the power there is dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is God's dynamite. He blows up hardened hearts. He, he blows up fortresses that have been built up in our lives. The gospel power will tear down strongholds. But you've got to let God use that power in your life. And then the power of love. And this is not love like for a brother. This is the highest type of love. This is self-sacrificing love love, agape, self-sacrificing devotion. It's the First Corinthians 13 love. It's the love that Jesus had on the cross when he went there for me and you and for a lost world. That's the love, self-sacrificing devotion. And then sound judgment. This is the word sophronimus in Greek, and it means right attitudes and actions in times of persecution. What was Paul telling Timothy? He said, Timothy, in fact, at the end of the book, he tells him, I'm, right, I'm ready now to cast anchor. I'm ready now to set sail for heaven. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. He said, Timothy, I won't be here if you don't come before winter. But he said, even though I'm gone, Timothy, I can trust in you because God is going to give you his power, his love. And his Sophronimus, that all-encompassing wisdom to have the right kind of attitude. Do you need an attitude adjustment today? I have decided that what Chuck Swindoll said years ago is right. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to what happens to us. Do you have a positive attitude today? Do you have a positive mindset? And I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. People with negative mindsets are a burden. Some people are just happy being negative. You know, they find something to complain about. I found out a long time ago. If people come in this church looking for love, you know what they're going to find? They're going to find love. If people come in this church looking for friendship, you know what they're going to find in this church? Friendship. And if people come into this church looking to find faults, guess what they're going to find? They're going to find faults. You say, brother Mike, doesn't it bother you that this church has faults? It does. It really does. I'm the pastor. But I also know this. The only perfect person in this church is the one who's the head of it. And I'm not talking about the preacher. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus. Everybody else in this church got in the same way. I admitted I was a sinner and I couldn't save myself. And I asked Jesus to come into my life and he saved me, changed my life. And he put a fire in my heart. You say, well, you're quitting. No, I'm not quitting. I'm retiring. The time has come for me to retire. I'm not tired. I'm old, but I'm not tired. You say, well, why are you retiring then? Because it's God's will. I know it's God's will for me to retire in May just as much as I knew it was God's will for me to come here 35 years ago. Just as much as I knew it was God's will for me to answer a call to the ministry in 1965 when I was planning on being a lawyer. Just as much as I knew when I laid eyes on Mary for the first time, and it was love at first sight on my part, I had to convince her. And I can see why when I look in the mirror. I can see why I had to convince her. I wouldn't want to live with that 43 years, but that's been her burden to bear. But you know what? I'm still excited about Jesus. I'm still excited about the gospel. I'm still excited about souls being saved. I'm still excited about the gospel going behind the bamboo curtain. I'm still excited about uh, the church in China. Uh, One of our members just got back from a mission trip to China. Couldn't talk about it before he went, but he, he sent pictures back. And every church he preached in was packed, people standing outside to hear the gospel. And it was in cold weather, and they didn't have heat in the church. I wonder how many folks we'd have here today if we didn't have heat or air conditioning That'll put a test on your faith right there. Isn't it something that a country that was under godless communism for all those years now has thriving churches? You know what happened? When they thought the communists got rid of the Christians, they were wrong. Because you see, you can't kill Christianity. It's been tried for centuries. All you do is you make Christianity go underground, and when it goes underground, it comes out more pure, more holy and more powerful than it's ever been before. What am I saying? What's your attitude today? Is your attitude right? Your life right? Have things crept in, words crept in, young people, that you shouldn't be saying or texting? You know, it grieves me sometimes to see what people put on social media. I may just start going to those places. And I see something like that and ask them if they want me to come over and wash their hands with soap. I told our kids, if you ever said words you shouldn't say, I'm going to wash your mouth with soap. Some people's fingers are filthy because they print filthy things on social media. It grieves me. Christians shouldn't ever talk that way. Our tongue, our hands belong to God. Our minds, our hearts belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Are you glorifying God today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Father, there's something here for all of us. Lord, I thank you for these two godly women. And Father, I pray that the godly women of this church would realize that the hand that rocks the cradle is still the hand that rules the world. And Father, I pray our young couples would pour their hearts and their lives and most of all their faith into their children. Father, I thank you that you told us that if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Father, help us to train up champions for Christ. Father, check our attitudes today. Father, check whether or not we're living a righteous and holy life. Check whether or not we're on fire for the Lord Jesus, who suffered on the cross to pay for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day and ascended to the right hand of God, where right now he's making intercession for us. We thank you for his sacrifice. May we all have the mind of Christ to help reach this lost world for him. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 480. Hymn number 480. Our staff will be down here to receive you. You need to be saved. You need to come to the altar and pray. You need to get your baptism right like Hannah Grace did. You come right now. While we sing, you come from the Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.